I should have asked kind of selfishly in the uh, prayer time to, to keep me in your prayers. I'm leaving um, later tonight uh, to fly to Dallas for a couple days. Um, would love to tell you that I'm going to Dallas for um, deeply spiritual reasons, that I'm going to, to a ministry conference or I'm going to study another church or learn from some great pastor. I'm going to a Cowboys game tomorrow night. So, <laughs> my brother, my brother got tickets. He called me up. His his company, uh, he works for a company that's in the oil business, and um, they they actually have a luxury box. <laughs> so. Uh, he called me up, and this is their last year that they're going to have it. And he said, look, he's like, if I can get tickets, can you get there? I'm like, you get tickets, I'll be there. So, but uh, of course, it's all dependent on the airlines. So, <laughs> please. Um, anyway, but so I'm looking forward to and having a little bit, of, uh, little bit of time with him, even though it'll be a very, very short, um, short trip. So anyway, so pray for quick and safe and fluid, fluid travels, which is never a given in this uh, day and age. But, but anyway, uh, this morning we, we're starting a, a series that's going to carry us through these next four weeks. Uh, the title, I've titled the series God Knows. And it is, it's loosely based on, on a book. Some of you women of faith will, have, will be familiar with this if you're in the women's Bible study that, that Tony started on Wednesday night. It's based on a book by Christine Kane called Undaunted. And um, I really took the series based on the four subheadings that she has in her book. As, as Tony was encouraging me to read it, I was just fascinated by these subtitles that she had for sections of her book. And, and they were titled, God Knows. And I thought, that's a great series. So I kind of stole her subtitles and using some ideas from her book. But if you read the book, um, it's not going to follow precisely. But uh, for these next four weeks, we're going to talk about some very unique things God knows about us. We're going to talk about today that God knows your name. We're going to talk next week that God knows your pain. We're going to talk that God knows your fear. Then we're going to finish with God knows your purpose. And so that's a little, little kind of um, looking ahead for this series and for what we'll be doing together. But to start, and we're going to root, I think each of the weeks we'll end up back here in Isaiah chapter 49. So this might be one of those verses you just, or one of those chapters of the, the Bible that you just keep bookmarked for a few weeks. But, but these words that, that God speaks um, through his prophet. Isaiah 49, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel 
to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. Or some of your Bibles may say, a light to the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see you and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. May God add his blessing to the reading of of his word, brothers and sisters, because we proclaim this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, may these words penetrate our hearts and be words for us that not only are comforting and hopeful, but but words of formation, transformation, as we seek to become more like Christ through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can tell a lot about a person by the kind of emails they send out, the kind of things that they forward um, to their friends. And um, I have some folks here in the church, some of you, that will occasionally send me things. And um, one of those persons, she's not in here, so I will talk about her, um, is Kathy Micklejohn. Those of you who know that Kathy, Kathy sends me things. And the reason I say you can tell a lot about a person by the stuff they send out, she always sends, sends really positive, uplifting, encouraging things um, in email. Uh, every time I see, you know, if I know that she sent me something, I know it's probably something that I'm going to enjoy or, or feel better after, after watching. That's just kind of the, the personality she has. See, I'm, I'm very different. I'll send stuff out that has like videos of people falling off stages and, you know, doing those kind of things that says something about me. Um, but she sent me a video not too long ago, and it was just a link, as she'll do very often, to a clip you may have seen um, some, some young, young ladies that were out. I'm not even sure where they were, somewhere up north. Or, or out west, but they were in a, um, not a canoe, um, kayak, thank you. Whew. They were in kayak, and, and all of a sudden they're videotaping, and thousands of starlings, have you seen these videos? The birds, all of a sudden, just, just like fill the sky. But it's not just that they fill the sky, as you've seen birds do before, but it's such a, a large scale, they begin to just weave and create these, these patterns of, of movement. And from a distance, I mean, it, it was just, it was spellbinding to watch as these birds in, in just flocks kind of weave in and out of each other, and they move, they move absolutely as one. I mean, it is, it is amazing that these, these, these creatures that we kind of mock for having so little intelligence. I mean, what's an insult we use if somebody doesn't seem very smart? We call them bird-brained. Yet, they move with such rhythm and, and such 
um, cohesiveness. Uh, scientists study this, and, and they have theories as far as how they're able to, to be so aware of what the other birds are doing and changes in wind patterns and, and movements and, and stuff that's beyond my ability to fully comprehend, um, which isn't saying much. But, um, but the fact that when you watch these birds, thousands of them, you forget that it's not one unit. You forget that there's individual pieces because you watch it as if it was designed. Well, it was, but, but as if you're looking at one sentient being, if you will, rather than thousands that, that come together and move together and, and work together and that this is a an powerfully linked community. And, and I thought about that in relation to, to the church and to, to our faith because we recognize that, that we as, as human beings, we don't work quite that well together. We try to, but ever lined? I mean, any, how many of you are in a marching band? Any marching band people? Okay. okay, you know if you were in a marching band how hard it is to get people to move that seamlessly together or any kind of organization or, or group or club or activity where you try to get people to move in a uniform pattern, it's, it's difficult. And so it's difficult in, in practice, but it's also difficult in, in, in living our life together to be that unified. But that's who we're called to be. We're called to be this community of faith. We're called to be this body of Christ that works together, that lives together, that embodies our faith together. In, in many ways, to to appear, though, many parts, as Paul would say, but to be unified as, as one. And as a pastor, that becomes often a theme of, of preaching, a theme of my messages, the theme of my teaching, is to always remind us that we're part of a, a community and that we, we live life together. Sometimes, though, we forget, and I forget, or at least don't stress enough, to remember the individual pieces of that. The significance of the fact that even among those starlings, among those thousands of birds that seemed to be one, that there was each speck represented a unique bird, a unique part of the, the tapestry, if you will. And so it is with our lives. You know, we're kind of caught in this contrast between recognizing we're called to be part of a community, part of a group, called of a body, but that we are uniquely individual, created uniquely, um, empowered and gifted um, uniquely. And that's, that's the challenge, e even within the Scriptures. That's the, the contrast that goes on. I mean, you think about kind of this, this larger pattern starting in Genesis uh, of, of the, the community of faith. It begins with some very unique individuals. The story of God's people, the Israelites, begins with the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the three names that are invoked over and over, um, the, the father, if you will, Abraham of the faith, the father of the nations. And then from Jacob, if you remember, there were 12 sons. And these are individuals. These are individual stories. These are, are, are unique beings, people, as the Scriptures tell their story. But the ark begins to, to go in an interesting way because though these are individual names, they begin to represent a much larger group. Israel is the name God gave Jacob. In Genesis chapter 35, 
God says your name will be Israel. So the name of an individual becomes the name of an entire people. In fact, Judaism is also often described not so much about a moral code or an ethical teaching or even a religion, but as the story of a people, a unique story of a, of a large group of chosen people. And Israel is the name given. And those 12 sons of Jacob become the 12 tribes with names like Gad and Reuben and Benjamin and Simeon and the Levitical, Levitical tribe, the priests. These individuals become the embodiment of, of much larger groups. And the scriptures are the story of that large group. I always say over and over that the scriptures are always about a movement of people. But within that story, woven into it are the individuals who live out the faith, who God uses to, to be a blessing, to be a light to the nations, to, to challenge the people to faithfulness, to lead the people in their times of struggle. And so we're called individually to be part of of that tapestry. We're, we're called to, to be part of, of that ongoing story. And that's significant. Those individuals are significant because over and over in the Scriptures we read their names. We may know nothing about them, but over and over you will find the genealogies. You will find these tricky names listed. Um, so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. And these just sometimes just chapters of nothing but names. If you've read through the Bible and you read through the Old Testament, it is hard to read through because that's all it is. It's just name. That's the kind of part where, where you tend to kind of skim. But it's just name after name. It's just kind of like Genesis. I mean, Gen like Matthew and Luke start, you know, with just the genealogy. As pastors, that's the part of scriptures we skip when we read because you, you trip over names. I mean, they're the tricky names that everybody dreads. If you've ever been called to read the Bible in a Sunday school class, or in a Bible study class, that's when you just you panic when you see those names. It happens to me. I'm, I'm, I try to be very, very intentional before a Sunday to actually read out loud the Scriptures, to hear myself read it. Because when those names come up, and I've had this happen to me before, where I haven't paid enough attention to practicing the entire body of a Scripture that I've chosen, and so I focus on what I'm teaching on, and I get up there before you all, and I start to read, and I'm like, uh-oh, there's some names here I didn't practice. And so you do what you do. This is the trick. You just read it like you're sure you're right. You just, I may butcher it, but I'm banking on the fact that you all don't think you know more than me, so you'll think I got it right. Um, that's what you, I mean, and then this is, I did this not too long ago. And then this happens in the first service. In the second and third service, this is how I do it. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 and then skip down to verse 7 and I just go right through it. Forget about it. But, but the significance of that, why that's there, is because God always reminds us that the larger story of his people is filled with the unique stories of the individuals who are part of that. And you're a part of that. And, and that significance is demonstrated in the name. Names matter. Names are important. My, my brother David, who I'm going to be seen in Dallas, who got the tickets um, for the game. Uh, his, he and his wife, well, his wife Judy, uh, is pregnant now with their second child, uh, a boy. And um, we were talking not too long ago. In fact, the day that he called me and he said, um, you know, we went to the doctor today 
and they've determined the sex, and, you know, it's going to be a boy. And so what is the first question I ask him? Have you picked out a name? Have, have, you, picked, have you picked out a name? Because the name begins to tell the story. It's that first piece. It's the, the name that, that we're given at birth that appears on our birth certificates and, and our social security cards and begins to start to tell the story of the uniqueness of who we are. Now, the interesting thing is, that's probably, of the names that we're given, the name that appears on our birth certificate may actually be the most insignificant in many ways. I I looked up, for instance, out of curiosity online, the name Christopher. In the United States alone, there are almost 1.7 million Christophers. So there's nothing especially unique about that name. It's the 13th most popular name in the country. I'm a little disappointed it's not higher. But um, so you think, well, I'm not just Christopher. I'm Christopher Schmidt. Well, there's 8,900 of them in the United States. And while I couldn't find specific um, uh, statistics on Christopher Richard Schmidt, I did Google that, and there's a few of them as well. So that name in and of itself is a part of who I am. It's a part of my identity, but it may be the most insignificant because as we grow, as our life continues, we start to pick up other names, other names that get attached to us, both positive and negative. Sometimes we call them nicknames that that begin to be formed often based on our experiences based on the character of our lives, based on the, the, the quality of our lives, you know, things. Abraham Lincoln, what was his nickname? Honest Abe. Honest Abe. Based on a perceived um, quality. I, I was Googling this kind of stuff, like I tell you I do all the time, and I came across the nickname for Don Rickles. Okay, the, you know what his nickname was? No, 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 you're thinking of... Um, Rodney Dangerfield. Don Rickles was nicknamed the Merchant of Venom. (laughs) How about that? Nicknames that that we begin to pick up. I I was, Tony and I were talking and we were remembering college. College, everybody got tagged with nicknames. I was in a fraternity in college. And so we got our fraternity jerseys and your name didn't go on it. Your nickname went on it. My nickname was the Axeman. There's a story behind that. I'm not telling you. But, um... (laughs) It's not bad, but it's more involved. And, and my roommate in college was called Gramps because he was, at the time, he was like 22 and the rest of us were 18, so that made him old. And, um, uh, you know, there was, there was Scooter and, and there was Hippie. and I mean, you know, the kind of names that get attached based on something that's a perceived quality. I'm, I'm curious, anybody have a unique nickname they want to share? Yeah, listen to you. Yeah, right. I ain't telling nothing. I don't blame you. I just wanted to see if anybody's brave enough to share. All right. But we, we begin to, to pick up these names that, that identify at least a portion of who we are. Names then that would continue to go on in those years since. Husband. Dad. Names we give others, sweetheart, friend. I mean, there's just all kinds of of names we attach, and they're not always positive either. I mean, sometimes 
that the names that stick to us that we wish we could shake off. Idiot. Unwanted. Chubby. Um, bimbo. I mean, I, I'm talking about the stinging names. I'm not even necessarily, and, and don't misunderstand, I'm not making light of those names. Those names that, that, that get stuck to us that we wish weren't there, that begin sometimes to, to infiltrate us, that begin to identify us, that begin to define our worth, both in the positive and in the negative. Names matter. Names are important. Names become part of our identity. In the biblical times, names were equally as important. In fact, maybe even a little bit more. Because when you named someone, you claimed them. The significance of a name and then being able to give a name was your ability to claim that person as your own. I thought about this just in relation to the only two people in this world that I've ever had the privilege of being able to participate in the naming of. Ryan and Cassidy. Tony and I picked those names. Carefully picked those names. Lovingly picked those names. Um, Ryan, we had, an, when he was born, we didn't know if we were getting a him or her, so we had two names picked out. It was going to be Ryan or it was going to be Brittany. We had agonized over those names and, and carefully in our own reason picked them. And then when Cassidy came along, it was going to be Brittany, actually. Cassie was going to be a Brittany. Um, we renamed her in the drive through of McDonald's um, <laughs> before she was born because we saw a big, and I don't mean this as a slight, but we saw a big Britney Spears poster in the wall. And we thought there's going to be so many Britneys being named, and we changed it. By the, we pulled in, and by the time we got our meal, we had a different name. But the point is, the significance of being able to name. We knew we were claiming as, as ours in a, in a very powerful, in a very deep, in a very meaningful way. We're claiming them as ours. In the scripture, the prophet says, right at the very beginning, he says, before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. Now, it doesn't say what that name is, but that's not what's significant. What is significant is the prophet is saying that, that like, like the psalmist writes, when God was knitting me together in my mother's womb, when he was putting the parts of me together, that God did something significant for him that God does for us, and that is God named you. And when God names you, it is because from the very moment of your conception, God is claiming you. God is claiming you as His. And the name that He gives us, that He gives to you, that He gave to me, a name that is never taken from us is this. You are mine. You are mine. Before your mom and dad picked out the name or whoever picked out your name, 
before the nickname started to accumulate, before the identity started to be shaped in your experience, your existence, your life, God placed a claim on you. And he says, here's the name that will mark your identity, that will be the most significant name you will carry with you if you allow yourself to hear it. Mine. You are mine. And that matters, and that's important because we all came into this world in different circumstances. We all came in different um, family groups, uh, among different experiences, if you will. Some of us were planned, we were wanted, we were loved from the moment we were born. Some of you have heard that you were a mistake. Some of you have heard that we didn't want to have kids. Some of you maybe didn't have a family from the moment you were born and had different experiences in those early years. And those are names that begin to attach. And I understand that, and that's real. But you need to hear the name that was stuck on you from the moment of your conception, the name that validates you, the name that says no matter what the circumstances were, you were not a mistake. You are wanted and you are loved, and that name is mine. That's the name God gives us. And it is important among all those other things that define us that that is the most important name that defines us. Because so deep is that love that a greater name came along, that God sent one whose name was above all names to come and redeem those who he said are mine. That is Jesus. And we're part of a larger story, but your identity, your significance, your individuality, it matters because you bring something important to the table. But here's the thing that is the most important thing about God's value upon you. God's desire for you to understand how worthy and loved and claimed you are is for you he sent Jesus for me he sent Jesus because he looked at us in our brokenness in our sin in our separation and he said you're mine and I'm sending somebody to bring you home I'm sending someone to restore the relationship. I'm sending somebody that will love you in such a way, that will give himself for you in such power, that you're coming back. Because you're mine. Because you're mine. That's what God does in Jesus. He reminds us of his claim upon us. From the moment we were conceived in our mother's womb, he named you. And he named me. I don't know what those other names that you've picked up over the years the ones that you love, the ones that you hate. They're not insignificant, but they're not the most significant. The most significant is mine. Own that name and recognize through Jesus you have been claimed. You have been claimed. Submit to the one who has given himself for you. Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we... We open ourselves to hear your voice, which speaks the most important name into our ears, mine. Let us hear that we are yours, that you've claimed us, 
And that love is so deep and so powerful that you'd send the name above all names. You'd send Jesus to bring us home, to restore us into the relationship, to remind us how much we are valued and loved. And pray that that would define us today and always. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen.